The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the first edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. I hope this is the first of many you'll join for what we believe will be great conversations. I've always loved talking with people, and I believe a conversation is better than an interview, and that's what we're going after with this podcast. Some of you may ask, why did you call it 100? I always try getting the whole story. So that's why we're calling it 100, or for some of y'all, 100. (laughs) The podcast will cover a broad range of areas, including politics, pop culture, current affairs, and we'll have in-depth one-on-ones. I'm excited, so I hope you are too. We'll start with our interview with Derek Johnson, president of the NAACP. Last week, he and other civil rights leaders met with President-elect Joe Biden and his team to talk about the group's expectations of the incoming administration. Derek, always good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. Let's talk about what you did last week, and that was have a meeting with President-elect Joe Biden. Uh, You requested the meeting, you and some other civil rights leaders. Did you see this as political payback? 
Well, we see it as an opportunity for the seven civil rights organizations to establish a relationship with the new administration. It is our goal to uh, inform uh, this administration uh, around the needs and concerns of our constituency bases, as well as hear from them uh, what their priorities will be for the next four years. The headline was that you're asking for a civil rights czar. And we're told that you want it to be a cabinet position. You want some heft behind it. Talk to me about how you came up with that and, and whether you believe that's going to happen. Well, you know, you, 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 what you measure is what you achieve. And, and you can only achieve it if, you, if someone is responsible and accountable for the outcome. And if you look at corporate America, many of them who have taken on diversity as a focus of, of, of their business model, they have a diversity and inclusion officer that report directly to the president. And from there, they execute organization-wide measures to ensure that their customer base, who in many cases now are very diverse, are, 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 are related to. That shouldn't be any difference with an administration like this. We, we're not in the people business. We are in the policy outcome process with civil rights organizations. And if you only look at one appointment for this cabinet and another one over there, you miss the boat that African-Americans, uh, we are impacted and we impact every uh, function of government. Therefore, there needs to be a racial equity lens placed in decisions from the top down. One of the things that, uh, to use your analogy, people have concerns about with DNI and corporate America is that it hasn't always worked. It hasn't always had that uh, sense of having a direct report, the same kind of dollars and green light. And often it's the CEO who dictates that. How comfortable are you that you will see from this administration, from Joe Biden, the, as I use the word again, heft that's needed for this kind of position? Well, you know, and in corporate America, it has not always worked. And oftentimes, you see it really don't work when they bury the position under somebody that's not in a C-suite. This has to be a C-suite level uh, proposition. And there has to be a true commitment. If a, a corporation say diversity is truly uh, a part of our business model, then it can work. Because you, you're not creating a parallel universe. What you're doing is embedding a racial lens around decisions. For this administration, if in fact, and he stated, that racial equity is a priority, a pillar of this administration, well, how are you going to achieve that? You can only achieve that if you designate somebody who will report directly to the president who's charged with the responsibility to make it happen. Do you see, what do you see within the auspices of, of this position? Do you see police reform in that? Do you see judicial justice? What do you see? There's all of it, right? So, you know, police reform, judicial justice, a lot of that falls under the Department of Justice. But how is the Department of Justice going to carry out these mandates? And are they doing it with a true racialized lens? All police agencies are not equal. All police officers are not bad. But there are bad police officers, and there are agencies that, that, that need to be addressed. And in many cases, you may find that they have to be addressed in ways in which you have to have equitable lens, because if you only go after the African-American-led police agencies and not the white ones, then is that true racial uh, equity? If you only go after the, the, the actors who commit fraud, they happen to be all black doctors, but hospitals are committing fraud. Is that equity? Because you go to the low level uh, corporates and not the corporate problems.
it is that level of responsibility this person needs to be uh, charged with. Not to carry out the work of an agency, but just to make sure the agencies are carrying out their work in, in ways in which it is equitable and open for opportunity. How comfortable are you with the idea that any of this can be pushed forward uh, if, in fact, uh, this administration does not see uh, the Senate uh, win that many are hoping for in Georgia? There's a lot of concern about we're going to see, as we've seen the last, uh, and I hate to say it, but the last, uh, let's see, eight or 12 years of dysfunction in Washington. So what we're proposing wouldn't require Senate confirmation. What we are proposing is that the president empower an advisor to address racial equity. That's a separate question. But the question that you raise is is, is a real question. We have to be cautiously optimistic around what's going to be possible with this new administration. Because uh, the, the head of the Senate is known and have already stated uh, that he's he's there to block progress, not to support progress, and he has been a shrewd uh, operator in the Senate for the eight years President Obama was in uh, the White House. Uh, Mitch McConnell stated clearly, "Our number one job is to do all we can to prevent this president from being successful." That's not about making sure government works. That's malicious intent to undermine the authority of the executive office. Uh, I don't see him being any difference for the four years of this administration. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Race notwithstanding, do you believe that McConnell and his cronies, if you will, um, is going to attempt to do the same thing that, that they did in two terms of an Obama administration? Absolutely. Ed. No, let's, 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 let's peel the onion back. This is about money. Who gets taxed? who's not taxed, and how those tax dollars are spent. This is not about personality. Race is a tool in the money game. When capital is strong and democracy is weak, capital exploit and, 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 and pillage. When democracy is strong, we're able to keep capital at bay and allow for the revenue to be spread equally. And what we have seen is a capital class been able to have undue influence on a Senate so that they can control the flow of money, so they can dictate the the conversation around policy. And the money directs the policy, not the other way around. Let me take you to that Georgia race. Um, So many people, eyes on that state. It's going to be a question of whether or not they can pull off both of those seats to give a, a, a tie and then give the deciding vote to the Vice President Kamala Harris um, what are you hearing? What are you looking at? What are you seeing as you look on the ground in uh, Georgia? It is, it is a uh, the race to the finish line. Who can get their voters back to the polls? Runoff elections have historically uh, resulted in upwards of 30% of the voters not going back to the polls. And so now we have to work as hard as possible. And in ACP, we are in Georgia. We have more branches in the state of Georgia and any other state. We're the only group outside of the black church that have a presence in majority of the 159 counties. So we're on the ground. But in addition to that, Ed, what's unique about Georgia, 45% of all the ballots that will be cast in an election will come from nine counties. Nine counties will have 45%. And the rest of the state is rural. So where there's a need to focus on Metro Atlanta, 
We also need to focus in Southeast Georgia, where we may not win those counties, but we got to run up the black voter turnout so we can eat a win out. Because the election this past November was only won by won by about 12,000 votes after three counts. When we come back, we'll talk to Derek Johnson about the direction of the nation's oldest and largest civil rights organization. And we'll look at the idea of diversity within Black America. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Now more of our conversation with NAACP President and CEO Derek Johnson. He took over the helm of the NAACP in 2017 
And prior to that, he served as vice chairman of the NAACP's National Board of Directors, as well as state president for the organization's Mississippi branch. Let me take you to something that's interesting that we don't talk about when we talk about diversity. And that is diversity within our own community. There are a lot of voices out there. And they all don't walk in lockstep. Uh, And with social media, many of those voices who, quite frankly, rang silent prior to social media are out there now. Talk about the new challenge of someone in your position to really represent the Black community when there are a myriad of voices that now can be heard. Yeah, yeah. You, you raised a really important question there. And it's two questions that you raised in that one statement, right? One is, around, is, is concerning the diversity within the Black community. We're a very dynamic community. I think Eugene Robertson's book, Disintegration, really lays it out better than I've seen anybody lay it out. Then the other question that you're raising is voice. That, that media has been so democratized. An individual who otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't be heard or known can command a following on the social media platforms and kind of influence thought. So all of those dynamics are at play at the same time. How do we as NACP relate to urban voices or rural voices? How do we as NACP relate to middle income voices, which is the majority of our community versus the immigrant community from the Caribbean or Africa? How do we relate to voices that's under 35? For that matter, if you begin to notice, there is a, it's a split between what we would call the millennial voices and the younger folks, because they, they, they look at the millennials being older now, and the average age of African Americans is mid-30s. All of those dynamics come into play, and then when you add in what medium of communication that we need to talk to people. For the NACP through my leadership, my goal is to push the average age of our conversation down to mid-30s, because that's where we are as a people to grow the necessary support moving forward. We have always been what I call a double hump Campbell, that we get young people high school through college. After college, they drop off because life hits them, families, mortgages, student loans, careers. Then we start getting them back around 45 to 55, and they retire out with us. Now, during my tenure, my goal is to get right there to that mid-30s, start having those conversations and having where people are listening. So that's on all of the social media platforms. That's through podcasts such as this. That's wherever we have ears listening, we communicate, but we also understand that we have to be uh, quilingual because all black people don't speak the same language. So we got to speak to the language of the, the audience that we are pursuing. Is there a danger, and I'm, I'm not talking about just in Black America, but we'll talk about Black America right now, is when you start to look at the kind of power that, that moves, um, particularly when you talk about economic power, you don't really roll into that in sheer numbers until you get about 35, 40. Um, is there concern that you, know, you can look to give uh, power uh, and leadership too young, so to speak? I think the ageism has been an issue within our community, us versus them, young versus old. I think it's all about skills. Some people can handle more than others earlier in life. Some people have to go through some things, get the experience behind them, get the training behind them. In all cases, I say that intergenerational 
models have been the most successful approaches in our community, whether it comes to advocacy or business, anything else. Because if you only have a one generational approach, you're going to die when that generation dies. So you have to have an intergenerational model when you're talking about power, advocacy, or even business for that matter. I want to ask you uh, what you've been able to do with the organization. It seems to me that during your tenure, you've become more aggressive with the organization, being more proactive, if you will. Is that fair? And was that something you sought out to do? If you look at our mission, our mission is broken into two parts. Improve the quality of life and you list the, the categories or fight against discrimination. And far too long, we've been seeing an organization that's fighting against discrimination as opposed to working towards improving the quality of life. If we're always fighting against something, it's like the biblical story of the babies going down the river. We can always try to grab babies out of the river, but we need to go upstream and figure out who's throwing the babies in the river. What public policy is in place that's causing the harm? What conditions are in place that we need to be addressing? How can we perfect models that may have been set up for our benefit, but we've walked away from, come back and rebuild it, that to look like we need to look, looking towards 2030. How do we as a legacy organization look forward to the opportunity as opposed to the backwards to the legacy of the problem? What's the hardest thing for you to deal with from your perch? Uh, convince our people, our community of their power. Far too often, we would even convene with experts in the room and the conversation will go towards the deficits and not the opportunities. And it's frustrating because you see it up and down the community ladder, whether it's age, income, whatever the case is, if you, if you open up the conversation about the African-American community, we instantly go to the deficits. That is, that's hard. It's frustrating. Because I'm sitting here saying, do you all see the success we have achieved? And how do we... Uh, 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 bring all this together and have even more impactful success for more people. That's the most difficult thing in this position. Let me take you back to where we started, and that's with the Biden administration, the incoming Biden administration. Um, Positions. We are now starting to see that cabinet fill itself out. Uh, We see that Lloyd Austin is uh, now the nominee for uh, Defense Secretary, um, Congresswoman Fudge. Uh, is looking to uh, man the helm at HUD. You've got Vice President Kamala Harris. There's been a, a promise of an African-American female for the Supreme Court. Uh, is that going to be an, enough at the end of the day? It's about policy. It's about outcomes. People are important to get there. It's about the outcomes that we're able to drive so that we can address systemic racism that is decade-long structural barriers that must be overcome. So whether or not someone is in the seat, we have a person in the seat right now at HUD who was more destructive towards eroding civil rights protection. Ben Carson, right? And so it's not about his race. It was about his mindset around what was possible, who should be included, and the policy that is driven behind that. Yet you and I know aesthetics are important to the general public. They want to see a face behind that. Oh, look, I'm not saying it's either or. I'm saying there's a hierarchy of reality. That hierarchy of reality is if we're talking about a racial equity frame, that's about public policy. Now you start talking about who's best situated to be in the seat to carry out a racial equity frame. I seem 
I, I, I tend to believe that we have far too many African-Americans with the capacity, the ability, the skills, but not the access to the opportunity. And so I'm always pushing for those individuals, but it starts with the policy. Let me take you four years down the road. What's a successful Biden administration look like to you? It's hard, they're hard to say, right? Uh, because it has so much, it would, it would require so much of a Senate to move the boulders we need to move. And without the control of the Senate, then we have to modify our expectations around what can be done through executive order or through administrative regulatory shifts, right? Then when you get to the juncture of 2022, you have a, a resetting of what the Congress can look like all over again. And so that's a perfect world. We, we have the influence control of the Senate. Now we have influence control of the Senate uh, two years from now. So we have four years runway, which is unheard of for both presidents. That means we can once and for all address the problems with delivery of public education to all children that's both equal and of quality that we can restructure one's expectation in terms of economic opportunities and outcomes. We can address and prevent from happening again the student debt loan crisis that's looming uh, for far too many people in this country. The number one point for African-American is government. And many of them are in those jobs because they couldn't find a private sector job, but they went and they did everything they were supposed to do. They went to college on student loans. Some of them went and got a bachelor's on student loans. They became teachers. They became state employees, municipal employees. Now they are out of balance. They have more debt than, than their job would allow them to pay off in a reasonable amount of time. So they're upside down in their quality of life. We have to address that. So there are so many things, and it's funny you ask that question, it is, the government is big, it touched all of us, and because it's so big, uh, pick the agency and I'll say this is what a good thing would be in four years. There's just so much. Derek Johnson, always good to talk to you, man. Keep up the good fight. Look, you, you know, you have short questions, I have long answers, but I love the conversation. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks, man. Again, thanks to Derek Johnson for joining us. Before we close, let me give you a little something to think about. The question of the NAACP's relevance is something that has been debated for years now. The venerable organization's historical importance has never been in question. For some, it's been a matter of, has its time passed? Let's be clear. The world is not the same as it was when the organization was formed in 1909. But what hasn't changed, unfortunately, is the fight and struggle for justice and equality. That is still very real and very needed. But 2020 is not 1960, and the voices of change are not as singular as they once were. The Black community's direction was never monolithic. However, today, the ability for many others to hold virtual megaphones and sway is greater than ever before. The leadership that Derek Johnson and other traditional civil rights leaders of today must give is vastly different than that of their predecessors. The advent of social media and technology has made it easier for people, 
some deserving and others more dubious, to gain an audience and an ability to influence. It also allows for a greater degree of challenge to groups like the NAACP. This, coupled with the New Guard's natural questions of the best way to do things, brings a real challenge to traditional leadership. Those generational disagreements have always occurred. They just weren't as public as they are today. Look at the issue of defunding the police. There are multiple thoughts about what that means and how our community should feel about it. Look, the debate is fair. It just not need be as publicly personal as it's become by those of influence. It shouldn't be about the ego stroke of my thought is the best way as much as it should be about simply finding the right way to save lives. Too much of our world plays out on the gram and cable TV. That can often bring another level of consternation and, frankly, mess that clouds the shared goal of bringing justice to Black folks. We need to find better ways to let all voices be heard and find a majority school of thought that moves forward and speaks for most of Black America. Admittedly, that's more theoretical than practical right now. Derek Johnson's approach so far has been balanced, and he has brought more attention and light back to the august organization he heads. He understands the idea that new blood is needed and vital to the fight for justice. He also understands the significance of history and life's knowledge. But leaders are only as successful as their followers allow. Let's try to be smart and know there is room for all opinions and that compromise and action are needed more than ego and Instagram likes. Well, that's it for the first episode of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast, and a big thank you for joining us. Next week, Reverend Raphael Warnock, Democratic Senate candidate in Georgia, joins us. His victory could be crucial to the future of the Biden administration. Here's a bit from that interview. Folks have been urging me to run for years, and it's based on my record. They've seen me out here doing the work when I wasn't running for anything. And I, I think that's part of the case I'm making. A good sign for what somebody will do when they're in office is what were they doing before they were before they were in office, before they were running, before I was running. You know, I, I, my church was raising money to bail poor people out of jail because I don't think that people, you know, bond should be based on how much money you have. That doesn't, that doesn't prove whether or not is safe or unsafe for the community. So we've been pushing for bail reform. I've been expunging criminal arrest records so that people can have a chance to get a job and to, and to, and to rent an apartment. These are folks who don't even have a record. They just have an arrest record. Underscoring longstanding disparities in healthcare uh, that were already there, the disproportionate impact on communities of color who deal with the comorbidities of hypertension and diabetes that exacerbate the impact of the virus on, on these communities, dying at a higher level, hospitalized at a higher level. Found myself in the middle of that. And then the tragic flashpoints mm -hmm. of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey right here in Georgia underscoring the ways in which black bodies are not safe in jogging, driving, sleeping in your own house. 
These are issues I've been working on for years. That's next week. And then we'll have a Christmas music special for you. We'll hear some of your favorite holiday music and talk about those special songs with musical guests including Kim, Yolanda Adams, Anthony Hamilton, and more. We've got many great shows and people coming your way. Stay tuned. Tell somebody about us. Remember, if you're talking about it, we're talking about it. We'll see you next week. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Come.